0: Welcome to the agroinnovations.com podcast, all things related and debated in agriculture, from appropriate technology to fair trade, globalization, and organics. Today we are with Professor Anil Gupta of the Honeybee Network, who is the founder and director of the Honeybee Network, and he is an expert in appropriate technology. Um, And Professor Gupta, you have worked with appropriate technology for many years. Will you tell us about your organization? What is it and what does it do?
1: Yes, uh, well, let me put a small project in that what is popularly called as appropriate technology movement in fact uh, became an alibi for what some people thought was optimum technologies, but user-friendly technologies. For us, a technology which has to be useful for the people has to be appropriate. And it can be developed by common people, people who are not trained, who are not professional, who have not received any help. And if they have developed some innovations, that's what we are interested in. The Honeybee Network was started more than two decades ago, 88, 89, around that time, with the notion that we should learn from people who are creative, who solve their own problems, to their own genius, who have an ethics which believes in sharing their knowledge with as many people, as many different segments of society. But who had always been exploited. Now the exploitation here refers to those of us, the intellectuals, who took the knowledge of these people and never acknowledged them. We did not even use their name and identity to highlight what they had done. They remained anonymous. We became famous. This was considered to be the first major injustice that had been done in the knowledge economy as we saw it 20 years ago. It also occurred to us that if we take the knowledge of the people and do not share it back with them in local language, then people-to-people linkage will not be built. So just as Honeybee does the cross-pollination, the idea was that we should be able to help people learn from each other, which would require communication in local languages, in the Tamil or whatever, Spanish or whatever language. And then, if we generate any wealth out of that knowledge that people have shared with us, through value addition or without value addition, the reasonable share of it should go back to people. So their intellectual property rights should be protected. They should not become anonymous. They should have an opportunity to learn from each other. If they want to share their information as an open source, they should be encouraged to do so. And if any benefits accrue to third party out of that knowledge, a reasonable share should go back to the knowledge provider. Now, this is the philosophy with which Honeybee Network started. And in 1993, we set up SWISTI, Society for Research and Initiatives for Sustainable Technologies and Institutions. The goal of SASHTI was to provide institutional support. Various collaborators in the Honeybee network were contributing and were trying to build a partnership with each other so as to uncover the genius which is solving problems in their region. Initially, we were focusing much more on sustainable agriculture and traditional knowledge of biodiversity for livestock, crops, varieties, farm implements, various kinds of sustainable alternatives. Some of which we believe and have been able to prove were even better than the more formal scientific discoveries of technologies in the subject, in in the field. By the time we reached 1997, we had about 5,000 innovations in traditional knowledge. We had an international conference at Indian Institute of Management, Ahmedabad, where I teach, on creativity and innovation at grassroots. At this conference, I raised the issue that should we continue this work because. He had not been able to make as much difference to the of people as he wanted. He proposed that some fund must be set up which, is, which will provide risk capital for converting innovation into enterprise. He found that the major bottleneck in generating income, higher income for the poor people, knowledge rich, economically poor people, was a triangle of innovation, investment, and enterprise. People may have ideas and in innovation, but they may not have in the investment or they may not always be good at converting them, their ideas, into business. So we need to bring these three factors together for, for building the money. And then Gujarat, government, the state government of the province where we are located, came forward and set up down grassroots Innovation Augmentation Network, G-I-A-N. GIAN in Sanskrit means knowledge. GIAN was set up in 97, and then in February 2000, Department of Science and Technology Government of India came forward to scale up our idea, and National Innovation Foundation was set up. National Innovation Foundation, which has been able to mobilize by the end of December 2006, about 70,000 innovation that from over 500 districts, that is, different provinces, different, different regions of our country. There are about 600 districts in India. So we have covered almost three-fourths of the country, though not to a very great depth. It's only a broad coverage. 80% of these are herbal knowledge, biodiversity based knowledge. The rest is botanical, agriculture, and other things. And 85% of volunteers, only 15% has come to us directly. So this is broadly the kind of organization that we have set up. We also created, in 2003, a macro-venture innovation fund, MBIF, which provides risk capital to the uh, innovators, traditional knowledge holders, for converting their in- innovations into products and businesses. Uh, we set up Sky, that is a student club for organizing, for, uh, for augmenting innovations in different colleges. And our idea is that it should be possible to generate a new model of globalization which is grassroots to global, sort of hoping that the large corporations will leave some space out of compassion for the poor people. We are saying, no, these same people who are knowledge-rich with the help of modern science and technology and the risk capital would be able to carve out their space in the global markets. And I'm very happy to mention that my colleagues have worked hard to commercialize technology in all the six continents of the world So our technologies have gone to U.S., to Africa, to Europe, to Southeast Asia, Australia, various parts of the world, and we have tried to therefore demonstrate that grassroots innovators can solve problems, not only of their community, but also of the similar people around the world. So that is the summary of what we do.
0: My observations have been that there are so many different kinds of technologies, rural technologies and appropriate technologies that are developed by the kind of innovative people that live in these communities that, that you work with and that you're talking about. Um, there are so many technologies, but so few of them have been commercialized. Uh, what can we do to, to get these technologies more out into the field?
1: Yeah, that's indeed a very true, very, very, very relevant issue because uh, we have seen the same problem in China, Brazil, and many other countries we had a project to bring India, China, and Brazil together to an online incubation system. And the idea was that there may be innovations in India which have market in China. There are innovations in Brazil which may have markets in India or vice versa. And there was no mechanism to do that. The first challenge, I would say, in this whole process is product development, validation, and value addition. Whatever claims have been made by an innovator, they need to be validated. And then, with the help of modern science and technology, they need to be validated, value-added. Now, we have a memorandum of understanding with Council of Scientific and Industrial Research, CSIR, and also with ICMR, Indian Council of Medical Research, and several other such formal scientific bodies, so that the knowledge of people receives the attention of the experts in the formal sector. So this is one step that is... The excellence in the formal science and the excellence in the informal science should be brought together. But even more difficult than that is to get the scientists interested in the problems of grassroots innovators. And I have used the term deviant research in the last issue of New Scientist. September 22nd, you would find an article where I have argued that the deviant research, that is research which goes beyond the confines of the normal boundaries, requires innovative approaches to support. Engineers, designers, calibrators, testers, various kinds of skills and institutions are required to build the value chain. Today, in our country, and I suppose this is a situation all over the world, large number of technology students in our country, about 0.5 million students, every year do a project but these projects have nothing to do with the problems or the solutions developed by the grassroots people. The second approach could be to find a way in which the young engineers, young technocrats, young agricultural scientists, young medical scientists, biochemists, they would work at least part of their educational requirement, or part of their educational requirement, they will work on the leads provided by the grassroots people so that not only they will solve, they will add value, they will also learn to communicate with the knowledge which economically poor people. That's the second thing we can do. Third that we have tried to do is to help one innovator add value to another innovation, another innovator's innovation. That sometimes works better, faster. Of course, one needs a lot of resources, financial and infrastructural, to add value to the knowledge of the people. We all know that one herbal drug go through various stages of clinical trials and testing and all, would require lots of money. And we have got tens of thousands of such leads. So the kind of resources one needs to develop products which will solve the problem and provide affordable medicine, affordable herbal pesticide, affordable pillar uh, to the farmer, affordable veterinary medicine, herbal veterinary medicine to the people, that kind of solution would require huge investment in R&D, and valuations. We do not have, to have dedicated workshops, dedicated laboratories for adding value to people's knowledge. In our country, Sushri has a small lab which is through the help of a private philanthropist. Otherwise, in the country, there is no lab. There is just no lab which is dedicated to add value only to the knowledge of the grassroots people. So I think there are some major gaps, not just in India, around the world, I would say where somehow the formal sector, sector, science and technology institutions, financial institutions, policy planning systems, have ignored the need for converting innovations and ideas into products and products into businesses. We need to change the mindset, apart from uh, organizing resources, both financial and intellectual, for the purpose.
0: So to what extent does the the phenomenon that you're describing uh, represent a failure of our government institutions and our public institutions and uh... you know maybe it's it's possible that that these types of investments and solutions that you're talking about aren't going to come from governments because it's not in their best interest
1: well uh... i would say that there there is a market failure and there is a state failure markets have not been able to clear the demand for these goods that these innovative products that these people develop. The state has failed to provide the institutional support to these innovators by and large. So essentially, therefore, civil society initiatives have to emerge and have to be supported. It is very true that these kind of solutions, some of which are very simple, have not evolved from the formal sector for centuries, for decades. And this problem is not just in India. You see, it's very interesting. India, China many other countries are growing very fast. Eight to nine percent growth. But this growth is leaving a lot of people on the wayside. It is not, it is not, I stress, an inclusive growth. It is not a growth growth of which the benefits are reaching all segments of society. So what happens? Some people not only meet their needs, they also meet their wants. As Gandhi said, in this world, we have enough for everybody's need. We don't have everybody's greed. So those who meet not only their need, but also wants, are happy. But those whose needs are also not met are obviously unhappy. And when a lot of people are very unhappy, it leads to violence, it leads to disorder, it leads to unrest. And we know that almost one-third of our country is having conflict and violence of that kind. And many other parts of the world are witnessing a lot of social conflicts. So if we don't pay attention, even to the creative and constructive voices at the grassroots, I don't think we will be able to have a peaceful world in future. And if there is no peace, how will there be sustainability? So my feeling is that there is a serious concern here, not out of compassion alone, that people should, government should care for these people, but even for the, for the harmonious development, as Chinese say, for the inclusive development, as Indian people would say, we need to pay attention to the creativity at the grassroots. Because these people, the innovators, the grassroots innovators, are solving problems at such a low cost and in such an affordable manner that these problems, these solutions can reach wide and far. And they're more sustainable. When harbor pesticides are developed, they're more sustainable than chemical pesticides. When economic practices are developed for controlling pests, they're definitely more sustainable. When farmers develop their own varieties, which out yield, outperform the normal sector, the developed plant varieties, then surely it improves productivity. And when animal diseases can be controlled through low cost, herbal medicine, then animals are healthy and their economy the economy of the people depend upon livestock and fruits. And this is true for not only agriculture but also general disease. Remia girl developed a washing machine a washing machine in fifty dollars, less than fifty dollars. Mantubai developed a small plate for cooking food for about 50 cents. It is a non-stick pan, non-stick clay pan on which you can cook food with very little fat, very little oil, and just like non-stick pan which costs $20, $30, this one costs hardly anything. So what I'm trying to say is that many of these uh, technologies, these solutions also generating hope in the mind of people that they can also aspire For some of the same conveniences that rich people are used to, but which these poor people cannot afford, because if we keep people, if we let people feel very excluded, no government will be able to govern very in a sustainable manner. And mind you, these problems are not just in the developing countries. Even in the developed countries, there are problems of the minorities, there are problems of the unemployed people, there are problems of the indigenous people, which are not getting addressed by the states. I mean, I have been to Tomahoram, I've been to Zuni uh, reservations in the U.S., and I know what kind of condition exists there and what kind of infrastructure they have. So these problems
0: exist not only in India. This
1: problem exists right in the of capitalism in the U.S. itself. A lot of poor people can't afford their means.
0: Well, I, w- I wanted to ask you, um, you know, as we talk about the failure of governments and then and then you talk about this cause for hope, I mean, the the innovations that people are coming up with and also just the fact that we're having this conversation and that it's being recorded and that other people that are interested in these issues are going to be able to listen to it around the world. Um, How is it that that this emerging community of uh, global innovators and people that are interested in these issues can get together and share ideas and ultimately commercialize these technological innovations?
1: I would say that we are trying to set up what we call as Global grassroots Grassroot Innovation Augmentation Network, and we uh, already built linkages in China and Brazil, and we are trying to build in, all of, in 11 other countries with the help of Asia Pacific Center for Technical Transfer. So our effort is that this capacity to scout and document the experience of grassroots people, capacity to add value to them, we should try to share, we are willing to share our experiences, which are available on srisdi.org, sashi.org, and also nifindia.org. And we would wish that similar efforts are made all over the world. Anubi Network would welcome partnership with such groups, such collaborators, so that we could find out the people who can collaborate the creativity at the grassroots, who can motivate the students in the summer vacation, winter vacation, to go out into the winterland in rural or urban areas and look for creative people who are solving problems. And we must then think about diffusion both commercial channel and non-commercial channels. So we should have the network portals of open source technologies, which people can just see and copy without any problem. It would be nice if you send a thank you card. That will be very much appreciated because anybody who has developed a solution would feel good that his or her solution has helped somebody else to solve their problem. But we also need to provide commercialized channels, which means that the person who has developed a solution gets Income in their hand, and of course e-commerce will play a very important role. We will have to build partnerships for licensing technologies. We will have to respect the intellectual property rights of the people, and it will be very difficult for them to do it in the current system, which is very costly. So, what intellectual property organisation should think of an international registry, which we have been leading since 1983, and install an international network for sustainable technology application and registration, INSTAR, a a network, a international registry, which will be registering various innovations at very low cost or no cost, and thus announce these innovations to the world so that people who want these innovations can access them and then can negotiate a license and get the technology for commercialization purposes. We will have to understand that needs of the consumers who are disadvantaged will have to be matched with the need of the producers or the innovators who are also disadvantaged so we are not looking for a system which will be exploitative where everybody is trying to get a windfall profit but we are looking for a system where people will share the gains as fairly as justly as equitably as possible at the same time providing incentives to those who create and those who consume the creations or the innovations so i think we need portals network of network portals Innovations. We also need uh, volunteers, the students, particularly among the, in the colleges and in the rural areas, who would like to disseminate the in- information because many rural people will not have the access to Internet so for a long time, it seems, in future also. So they must be enabled, they must be empowered to access this knowledge base. At our site, we have in four languages. Eventually, I hope that we should be able to share our database in all languages of the world so that people can download, people can use it. And we would also welcome visits of the people to our country so that they can meet innovators, learn from them, and build capacity in their own country. So I believe that we must strengthen both the open source movement wherein people can take the ideas, develop them, share them, and there is no responsibility except for gratitude, an economy of gratitude. And at the same time, we should also develop an economy, a monetary economy, where people will get benefited to the sharing of
0: the okay, I wanted to ask you uh, another question about, um, you're talking about open source technology and also a monetary uh, economy in terms of, a te- of uh, appropriate technology. Um, could you talk a little bit about the tension that may exist between open source and commercial appropriate technology?
1: Yes, uh, there is a tension because when we talk about the open source technologies, the, the, the provider of the solution, the grassroots innovation, does not get anything out of it except perhaps to some extent acknowledgement. So one way is to hybridize the two models so that if somebody is doing, using this knowledge for their own benefit or their own livelihood, a small farmer in, let us say, Sierra Leone or in New Mexico or Mexico or somewhere, wants to benefit from the innovation of a farmer in Karnataka or Gujarat in India, I think nobody will mind it. After all, farmers are, they said, small farmers are, they everywhere. But if a company wants to develop a product out of that knowledge and commercialize it, then that company should be willing to share benefits and take a license. So in our prior informed consent form, if you will go to our website and you will look for PIC, you will find a prior informed consent form for traditional knowledge as well as of innovation. There we give this option to people. Would you like to share your knowledge openly for self-use and on commercial basis or commercial use? So one can think of that model. Second is that some people think that, no, I've developed a solution. I have a right to become rich, and they have a legitimate right to become rich, and we will not impose our values on them. We will believe that, we will facilitate that, That's okay, you develop a solution. You obviously will be able to make money if other people can afford your solution. This is in your interest to make it as affordable as possible. We will help improve the product. However, we will encourage that the person concerned, the individual you know concerned, gives Non-exclusive license to large number of entrepreneurs, if possible, small entrepreneurs. But we have no problem if some large corporation takes up an investment, signs an agreement, refuses it to millions of people, and shares the benefit. I have no ideological problem with that. But my own feeling is that large corporation would not take much interest. It is the small people with, with the small firms which have come forward. So far, all the licenses we have done, more than two dozen licenses we have done, are all to small entrepreneurs. Large corporations somehow do not yet see the potential of these innovations. So I would say that partnership between entrepreneurs, investors, venture capitalists, and the innovators is a must. And there have to be watchdog bodies, Honeybee is providing that function. We have some kind of presence in 75 countries, strong, weak, different kinds. And we believe that this philosophy, which, is, which believes in ethical and accountable discourse, can provide a framework whereby different groups around the world can serve as a watchdog, which means they will ensure that the people do not exploit the open source movement to generate a lot of wealth for some people who use that knowledge without sharing with the community back what they have done and how they have done. So the ethics of open source movement will have to be respected. It has the concept of general purpose license, GPL, which should be drawn upon. And we should, at the same time, recognise that not everybody would like to share their knowledge freely, and their people have a right. Just as different people have different ideologies, we should not insist that our ideology should be imposed on the grassroots innovators. They have a right to live their lives the way they want. Our role should be to facilitate that process and ensure, finally, that the solution reaches the people who need it. So tension is there, but I don't think it is unresolvable tension. To me, it seems that this tension can indeed be resolved, provided we cooperate, we collaborate, and we're also, I would say, at the professional level, compassionate in terms of understanding that not everybody knows what is best in their interest. Sometimes people may not realize that by sharing the knowledge, they're losing the chance of improving their livelihood because the solution will be very valuable. We have to help people to share, and at the same time, if they wish to help them,
0: now, I wanted to ask you a, a final question to, to wrap up this interview, and that is, um, people who are listening are probably very interested in this. Uh, the task is definitely very large and daunting. What, do, what are your suggestions for people that are interested in getting involved in this? And In terms of as a movement, where do you think we need to, to move in the next five years, say?
1: I would say that in every college, in every school, in 10th class, 11th class, 12th class, in undergraduate education, postgraduate education, we should find public-spirited students. I think in every part of the world, in every culture, there are students whose idealism, whose sense of larger purpose, whose sense of social responsibility, encourages them to look for areas where they can use their energy profitably, in a socially useful manner. And such people must be motivated, must be mobilized uh, by the teachers who are listening to this or by the students who are listening to this decision so they can form their own honeybee network or they can give any other name to their initiative. I don't care what name they give. So long as they follow the principle that whatever they learn from people will be acknowledged. People will not remain anonymous. Their identity will be respected. Their ideas will be respected. And people will be encouraged to communicate in local language with each other. Their knowledge system grows. We will also encourage people to share this knowledge so that the future generation will be able to benefit from it. And if anybody develops any value product and commercializes it, the reasonable share of the benefit should go back to the people. Now, these basic principles can be, the best, can be the foundation for such initiatives to emerge in different parts of the world I would again repeat, it does not matter whether they call themselves any network chapter or any name that they give themselves to it. Only thing is, if they collaborate, we will all learn much more from each other, as against if we keep in isolation or if we keep an uh, attitude of indifference to each other. So my request will be, let us involve the young people, youth of different parts of the world, young farmers, young students, even those who have stopped education, are working as a mechanic on the roadside, or as a farmer or a laborer. Even they should be encouraged to form their network. We should provide facility to them to articulate their creativity. We should document it. We should share in local languages. We should connect people to people. And we should motivate the scientists, and personally the public sector or private sector labs, to help such people to add value to their knowledge. We should encourage financial institutions. You must have heard about microfinance all over the world. Have you ever heard about micro-venture finance? How come, the, how come that the World Bank and the Asian Development Bank and the Latin American Development Bank have not been able to think beyond microfinance? Because microfinance is something for which market exists. What about the things for which market does not exist? You need risk capital. So there should be a network, an international network of micro-venture finance, micro-venture funds, all over the world, which can be... These funds can be built by the well-intentioned philanthropists, it can be built by the governments, And, of course, we should create pressure on the multinational financial institutions to allocate a sizable part of their funds for micro-venture finance movement because every innovation in the mainstream sector has become product and business because there were venture capital support for that. If venture capital is so good for IT, information technology, so good for biotechnology, so good for other technologies, how would we assume that the grassroots innovations would not need just capital? So we need micro-venture finance movement. We need a movement for building bridges between the formal science and informal science so the valuation can be, can be done in the laboratories, in the workshops, in the formal sector, public or private. And we also need young people to be taught, to be, to, be, to be provided opportunity as a part of pedagogy to learn about creative people of their own society. It is a tragedy that today if you look at textbooks of primary education, secondary education, that means 10th, 11th, 12th class, or even college education. There are hardly any experiences, hardly any experiences, of the people at the grassroots level who have solved their problems through their own genius. So therefore, the people, young people grow up in their life thinking that these solutions have to come from the formal sector, from the large corporations. I think we need to create this confidence in every society around the world that people can, given the opportunity, solve some problems, if not all, And some of these solutions, if not all, will be very useful for people not only in that country, but other parts of the world. So I hope to hear from as many people as would like to write as to what initiative they are going to take in their country. And if we can keep in touch through the process, I'll be more than happy to encourage people to use it, their own name, their own label, their own brand name, whatever they want to call it. It does not matter. It do not have to be. This movement is not hierarchical it need not be having a common point or common center. It can be a polycentric movement. Each node is a a center in that sense. There is no common center. There is no need for a common center. And I would like to learn from them. We would like to learn from them, share their knowledge with our people, and I'm sure they would like to do the same. So my hope is that it will be a polycentric, collaborative, democratic movement, very ethical in its basis, and at the same time, having tremendous faith in the ability of I want people to call uncommon topics
0: Well, it's it's a very fantastic vision and I certainly share that vision with you and I, I hope that it happens as well. And uh, we will include a link on our website to the Honeybee Network so that people that are interested in getting in touch with you and writing you, as you said, can do that. And they can also take a look at all the thousands and thousands of innovations that exist on the Honeybee Network and they can maybe find one that's uh, right for them. Thanks so much for participating in this interview, Dr. Gupta.
1: Thank you so much, and I wish you all the best. You are doing a great job of bringing such experiences together, and I'm sure through their effort, we will have a wonderful and beautiful world to live in. Thank you so much.
0: Now, it is true that the sound quality on this podcast was not the greatest, but you have to remember that we were speaking with Professor Gupta all the way to India, from the United States, so you can imagine that sometimes the phone connections aren't always as good as we'd like them to be. But we hope you enjoyed the interview, despite the poor sound quality, because Professor Gupta definitely had some interesting insights and experiences to share with us. If you're listening to this podcast and you've listened to previous episodes, or if this is the first episode that you've listened to, we'd like to ask you to support us. We're not asking for money or any kind of monetary compensation for the podcast. You can support us just by sending us an email telling us what you like, what you don't like about the podcast, any suggestions for shows. Perhaps you know someone that would be worthwhile for us to interview. We want to hear from you. So email us at podcast at agroinnovations.com. You can also find a contact form on our website where you can reach us. Or you can also leave comments and suggestions on the podcast page itself at agroinnovations.com podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm your host, Frank Aragona. This is the agroinnovations.com podcast. Saludos.